Hey, if you've got a Bible there, can you turn, please, to Matthew 16? We're going to look at a verse, uh, Matthew 16, verse 18. Same verse we looked at last week, for those of you that were watching, uh, where we talked about the gates of Hades and uh, what that actually meant in the context of the church and so on. I want to have a a bit of a look at that verse again this morning, uh, but from a different perspective again. Um, Before I do, I want to share a story with you, something that happened to me uh, some years back. Maybe some of you can relate to this, maybe you can't. Hopefully you can't, Um, but I'm sure some of you can. You ever go somewhere and and the place you were going turned out not being the place you thought you were going to? Uh, Let me explain. A friend of my wife's uh, invited... Um, uh, me and a friend of mine, I think my wife might have been overseas at the time, and we were invited to go to a birthday party. It might have been a 40th or or something like that. I don't remember. But I remember clearly getting an invitation sent to us in the mail. An invitation said, dress up, party. Come dressed up as uh, some kind of character or something like that. I don't remember if there was a theme, but I just remember it was a dress up party. I remember it because I'm not much of a dresser-upper when it comes to parties. But this particular party I decided, I think it was my first and I think too most possibly my last um, party where I decided to really go all out. Me and my friend, we we got together after work the day of the party and we um, uh, had these outfits organised and we went pretty uh, full hog in it. And I remember rocking up, we're all dolled up and we rocked up to the party. It was at the race course at Ballina uh, down there um, uh, on north coast New South Wales. And we walked up to the party, we got out of the car, we walked up the stairs to the function room where it was and we opened up the door. And as we opened up the door, it was like one of those scenes in a movie where everybody's chatting away and all of a sudden everything stops and you just see this... And everybody turns in your direction and they're looking at you. And the first thing I noticed straight away was that nobody was in fancy dress. Unless, of course, a nice pair of blue jeans and a button-up shirt and, you know, neat casual clothing is fancy dress. To my knowledge, it wasn't. And if it was, it certainly was not the fancy dress that was communicated to us. And so here we are, standing there, completely garbed up, and that silence, it didn't take long for the silence to turn into laughter. And then, of course, the host of the party came up and said, Ha, I gotcha. And we realised what was going on. She played a bit of a trick on us, and we fell for it. Hook, line and sinker. I wonder if you've ever been in that situation where you thought you were going to a particular place and when you got there you realised not long into it, hey this is not exactly what was communicated to me, this is not what I thought it was going to be. To use Billy Crystal's famous line in City Slickers, uh, this was not in the brochure and uh, that's what we found ourselves in that particular day. We went to a party thinking one thing, turns out that what we got was something totally different than what was actually communicated to us in the first place. You know, I wonder sometimes when I think about church, if Jesus was to come down and to sit with us right now, and let's say he was to uh, think about what he meant when he first uttered the word church. And we're going to look at it here in a second in Matthew chapter 16. It's the first time that Jesus uses this uh, terminology to his disciples. Think about it. He's been travelling with them for a while. They know something's different. They know that Jesus is different. They know that he has busted the normal religious status quo of the day. They know that he's doing things that are outside the context of normal religion. They know he's doing things that are flipping the religious world on its end. Uh, They know that there's something unique and new about Jesus. They don't fully understand it yet. They don't fully get it. 
But they know there's something different happening when Jesus comes on the scene. And he walks with them and he spends time with them and he refutes the religious leaders and he does miracle signs, wonders. He looks after the poor needy. He touches the outcast and knows that because of religious reasons and purity reasons and so on, you shouldn't go near. He speaks to Samaritan women. He touches lepers. He does all these kinds of things that are outside of the box. Meanwhile, as Jesus goes about walking around for those three years, he gathers more and more people that are following him. And of course, during that journey, some people uh, uh, take off when he makes statements that they they think are too heavy or they can't understand. Uh, Even at his crucifixion, when he was taking, um, his closest friends took off and ran away from him. But after the resurrection, the pennies began to drop and they started to come back. And from that time, we see this picture of a church that is growing and moving forward and taking ground, a little bit like Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 16, the first time that we hear Jesus using this word church. And we all know, if you were watching last week, that Jesus takes his disciples to a very sobering place, a place called Caesarea Philippi, where he begins this discourse with them. They're not in a familiar place. They're in an unfamiliar space. In fact, they're in a space where they're told they shouldn't be going. They're in a place that's surrounded by anything other than what Jesus is teaching and the values and what Jesus is about and the direction that uh, he's trying to take the movement, they're in the complete opposite space in Caesarea Philippi. And in this sobering moment, Jesus asks them the question and he starts by saying to them, who do people say I am? Who does everybody else out there say I am? And they start uh, uh, saying, look, some people say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the other prophets. But then he narrows the question down. He goes, okay, it's great. You know what everybody else says about me, but I'm going to personalise this now and I'm going to ask you a question. Who do you say that I am? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who everybody else says that he is. It really matters who do you say that Jesus Christ is. It really matters who do I say that he is. I will die for what I believe and I will stand firm in what I believe, not what you believe. Or not what somebody else believes. I might die for someone else's faith, but I might be prepared to die for my own faith. So it's a really, really important question. Who do you say Jesus is? We are entered into this thing called the church. We receive this gift of eternal life on the basis of our personal answer to that question. Who do we, who do I say that Jesus is? I can't uh, receive forgiveness of sins and be brought into the kingdom of God's Son, into the kingdom of God. I can't be born again, to use the terminology Jesus used in John 3.16 when he was talking to Nicodemus. I can't be born again on the basis of what you believe. I'm not born again on the basis of what my parents believe. I'm not born again on the basis of what my pastor preaches. I'm not born again on the basis of what my society and my community believe about the person of Jesus Christ. I am born again based on my own personal revelation that he is exactly who he said he was, that he is the Son of God, that he's the Lamb of God, the final sacrifice for sin for the world. There's been no other sacrifice since that moment when Jesus died that has any significance or any bearing to God in terms of saving humanity. That was the once for all sacrifice, his death upon the cross. And so Jesus says to the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter, we all know, says you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. A very serious answer, probably reflected by the very serious and somber environment that he was in at the time. This was not a time to muck around. This was a time to be a little bit serious here. You're asking me a serious question. I'm not going to joke with you here. This is who I think you are. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
You're not like these false idols around us. You're not uh, one of these, these demon spirits, these other gods. You're, you're the God. You're the son of the one and only creator of the heavens and the earth. You are the son of God. And then Jesus makes a statement after that. He says, you're Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. Now, the rock wasn't Peter. We all know that. You know, Give it some short period from now and Peter's going to turn his back on Jesus, run away. If, Jesus, if Peter's the rock, then the church is in all kinds of trouble. But Peter's not the rock. The rock was the revelation of who Jesus was. And here's what Jesus says to Peter. He says, when you get that revelation, when you accept that I am who I said I am, when you, in other words, if I can put it into faith language, when you accept that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins, when you accept what Jesus did on the cross, that it was for you personally, something happens. And this is what Jesus said, on that revelation, I'll build my church. In other words, when you accept that revelation, when you accept that uh, 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 insight, when you accept that Jesus died for your sins, when you accept that, you repent of your sins and you turn your life over to him, when you do that, he says, I'll build my church. In other words, when you do that, you become part of this movement called the church. Now, this is the first time that Jesus has used this word to his disciples, church. What do you think they were thinking when he first used this word? Well, I can tell you what they weren't thinking. They weren't thinking of a building. They weren't thinking of a structure or a place. You know, when you think about the word church today, we have a picture. When you say church to someone, there's a picture. And that picture will generally be uh, a building or a structure where people meet to have religious meetings. That's what the church is. Or the second picture may be when a bunch of religious people gather together in a building, that's church. That's what church is. Now, we perpetuate that understanding in society, and we don't mean to. It's not a bad thing. It's just what we do. But we perpetuate that, and here's how we do it. Every church in the corners of the streets and everywhere, you drive around and you'll see signs that say such and such, church, uh, blah, blah, Church. I mean, we've done it ourselves down on the corner, the street here. Um, I tried to get the council to put in a sign that, that, that just had the name Arise on it. But they said, we won't do that. We're not allowed to advertise particular brands. And so we're just going to stick a sign there pointing to your building that says church. So in one sense, that sign is perpetuating that stereotype that that building there is a church. Well, that's not what Jesus meant. And that's not what the disciples heard when Jesus said, I'll build my church. They didn't hear him say, I'll build my building. The other one is that when everybody gathers together in a religious setting, in a building, that gathering of people become the church. So in other words, you've got a group of people gathering on a Sunday for worship, that becomes the church. We perpetuate that stereotype as well. How do we do that? Well, how easily do we say to people, what are you doing Sunday morning? Well, I'm going to go to church. What are we doing? We're just perpetuating again that stereotype. Is there anything wrong with it? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. What I'm saying is this, when Jesus said to his disciples, I'll build my church, they did not think of building. They did not think bricks and mortar. They didn't think of a structure. When Jesus said, I'll build my church, they did not think of a bunch of people gathering together for a religious purpose. They did not think of a religious gathering at all. In fact, here's what they thought when Jesus said, I'll build my church. Jesus used that particular word. It's uh, the, the Greek word, the Greek translated word there is the word ecclesia. Ecclesia is used to uh, refer to an assembly or a gathering of people. 
Um, it's not a religious word at all. It was a word that was used, say, a bunch of people gathered together in the city square to discuss civic matters or to talk about governmental things. Um, that could be a, an ecclesia, a gathering of people. If you go to uh, Acts chapter 19, you'll see that Paul um, goes into Ephesus and, and, and preaches in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, and some people get really angry at him for that. And in, in around verse 32, I think it is, there's a, a riot. It's basically a riot in the streets where they, they grab these believers, these Christians, and they want to beat up these Christians. And the word used there to, to describe that is that all these people, it says they assembled together. The word assembled there is the same word that Jesus uses here for church. It means a gathering uh, or an assembly of people. And so the word church, the word ecclesia, when Jesus said this to them, they did not think about anything religious. Like you and I would today if somebody said to us the word church. What did they think of? Well, the word ecclesia, if you go and have a look at what uh, historians or Bible scholars will tell you, there, there are basically two sort of angles of this word ecclesia. Number one is that some scholars will really emphasize the fact that the ecclesia, uh, those who are called out, they're called out people. They've been called out. And to be called out means that you've been taken away from somewhere and, 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 and separated from somewhere. And many people interpret that to mean that the church have been called out of society. And that's probably where some of us get this mentality that, that the church is when we gather together in a, a sacred space or we remove ourselves from the world and we start our holy huddles and we build our silos and we just do our church stuff together and we do life together to the neglect of the rest of the world. Uh, that's kind of what we mean by that because we've been called out of that. And that's how some people interpret the word church. The other camp in, in, in scholarship that talk about this word ecclesia, they'll emphasise the other side, which is an assembly or a gathering. They'll emphasise the assembly or the gathering side of it, that it's about uh, when, when a group of people get together. So we see where we get some of these concepts of church being, being a, just when people get together for religious purposes or when people come to a religious building. But that's not at all what Jesus was saying and that's not at all what the word ecclesia means. The word ecclesia means both of these things together. It means called out and assembled and gathered. And I think the best way to describe what Jesus meant by ecclesia, which by the way is church, which is you and me, is this. You'll find that in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, Jesus, uh, sorry, uh, the apostle Paul writes this. Speaking of Jesus, he says, he has delivered us... <coughs> From the power of darkness. So we've been delivered from the power of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And now that passage there gives us a great picture of ecclesia, what it means to be ecclesia, what it means to be church. What it means is this, that God has delivered us from, in other words, He has called us out from, not from the world. He's called us out from the kingdom of darkness. He's called us out from the kingdom of darkness and he's conveyed us into, in other words, he's gathered or assembled us together in the kingdom of the son of his love. We've been called out of one kingdom and gathered together in another kingdom. So when Jesus said to the disciples, I'll build my church, they didn't think religious activity, religious place, religious stuff. They weren't thinking religion at all. When Jesus said, I'll build my church, what they heard Jesus say was, I am going to uh, create a movement, a gathering of people. I'm going to create a movement 
of people. And that movement are going to have influence. That movement is going to grow. That movement is going to move and shake the known world. That movement is going to bring transformation. That movement is going to bring change. Why will they do all this? Because they're no longer under the kingdom of darkness. They've been removed from the kingdom of darkness and now they've been joined together in the kingdom of God's Son. They've been joined together in a different kingdom with a different set of values, a different set of rules and a different way of doing things. In fact, if we can jump on that word way for a second, in the book of Acts we do find out this, that the church, our religion, the the, the movement we're a part of uh, was never called biblically Christianity. You know, today we do a census and we tick a box, what religion are you? And we tick Christian, Christianity. In the Bible, we were known as the way. The word used to describe us, our religion, our sect, our group was the way. I love that movement. I love that word because it gives this connotation, this picture of movement. And so the word way literally It literally means this. It's the Greek word hodos, and it means a travelled road, a journey, a course of conduct. I love this last bit. A way of thinking, feeling, and deciding. So when Jesus says to his disciples, I'll build my church, here's what he's saying. He says, I'm going to build a movement of people that are going to travel the road. A movement of people that are going to go on a journey together. A movement of people that are going to conduct themselves a certain way. A movement of people who are going to think differently, who are going to feel differently, and who are going to make different decisions based on the new kingdom and the new set of values that they've been a part. Jesus never said, I'm going to call you out of the world. I'm going to remove you from the world. If God was was meaning that, then the church would have zero influence in the world. You would find that there would be these two camps at work and their paths would never cross. But Jesus in Matthew 28 said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Or another way you could translate that is, 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 as you go, make disciples. In other words, in your going, make disciples. In your everyday life, as you're moving about in the marketplace, in your business world, as you're moving about in your family, as you're moving about in the sporting field, as you're moving about in government, in education, as you're moving about in these areas, make disciples as you're going, as you're moving. There's nothing about being separated. It's all about being smack bang in the middle of, but exercising and exerting kingdom influence in those places. That's what Jesus meant when he said to the disciples, I'm creating, I'll build my church. In other words, I'm starting a new movement. And it's not going to be a religious movement. It's not about religious activity. It's about shaping culture. It's about shaping society. It's about influencing the world into which I've placed you. Because you've got X amount of time down here. And one day you'll be gone and you'll be in glory with God. But for the time that you're down here, I don't want to take you out of the world. If God wants to take me out of the world, he'll literally take me out of the world. But he doesn't want to take me out of the world. He wants me to operate in the world but under a different system and a different set of values. That's what the disciples heard when Jesus said, I'll build my church. They didn't hear anything about a building. They didn't hear anything about a religious gathering. They heard a movement of people. That will exert influence in society and influence in community. You see, being a follower of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus was a way of life for them. It was not a statement of faith. Let me say it again. Being a follower of Jesus was a way of life. It was not a statement of faith. A statement of faith won't change your workplace. 
but the way you live there can. What you believe can't change your family, but the way you live there can. What, what you believe won't change your street or your community, but the way you handle yourself and you make decisions and the way you conduct yourself there has the power and the potential to shape and to change the culture and the people around you. And this is why the way was so powerful in the first 30 years of the church as we have it recorded by Luke. Let me just throw a couple of verses at you. Acts chapter 2 verse 47. It says, The Lord added to the church, there's that word ecclesia, the Lord added daily those who were being saved. I love that passage because God added them. I can't save anybody, but what I can do is is walk in the influence and, and, and live out my life, live as a part of the way. And that means, that means doing the deeds of the kingdom, speaking the words of the kingdom, being open to the promptings of the If I do that, then I create this environment. And it says here that in that environment, the Lord added daily those who were being saved. Acts 5.14 says, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of men and women. We could preach that for a week. They were added to the Lord. They weren't added to the church. They weren't added to my holy silo. They weren't added to my tiny gathering. They were added first to the Lord. Here's the thing. You've got to be added to the Lord first in order to be a true member of the church. Coming to a church doesn't necessarily mean that you're added to the Lord. It's about that personal decision to follow Christ and to live your life as a disciple of Jesus, to live your life as a member of the way, as a part of the way, to allow your faith to shape every part of your world. Years ago when I lived in India, there was a young friend of mine, he was a Muslim, and I remember having a conversation one time with him, and he made this statement, and I had nowhere to go with it because I know he was true. He said... The difference between you Christians and us Muslims. He said Christianity is about what you believe, but Islam is a way of life. He said Islam is about a way of life. It's not about what we believe. It permeates everything. The way we speak, the way we interact, what we eat, where we go. Islam is a part of our world from the minute we open our eyes to the minute we lay down our head. Not just for a few hours on a Sunday or not just during a religious gathering or a religious moment. And I've got to be honest with you, I was a little bit stuck. I didn't know where to go with that because the more I thought about that statement, I thought, you know what? You're actually right. And maybe that's why that particular religion, I'm sure there's other reasons, but, but uh, maybe that's why the, a lot of people today are being attracted to Islam because they want a change in a way of life. They don't just want to change something they believe. They want to change the whole way of life. They, if you're going to get into something, they want to get into something all the way. If you're going to believe something, it's got to be true and it's got to be life transforming. It's got to be able to change all of your life. There's no point telling people Jesus loves you and he can change your life, but then living the same kind of life everybody else does. There's no point saying that faith has transformed and changed you if you're still living the same way that you always have. If you're still making shoddy business dealings, if you're still talking about people behind their back, there's no point. The way was all encompassing. And in that environment, the Lord added daily those who were being saved. My favourite one is Acts 17.6. When the, the disciples went into a particular place and there was an uproar and, and, and the people in that community, they made this statement about the church. They said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. In other words, these people who are part of this movement called The Way, they've come to our town, and what we've heard of them, what we know of them, is they're turning the world upside down everywhere they go. Truth is, they weren't turning it upside down, they were turning the world right side up. And that's part of the mission of The Way. That's what we were called to, that's the movement that you and I have been called to. We haven't been called to a religion. We've been called to something so much more. We've been called to a movement. And that movement 
should be growing. That movement should be expanding. You see, they lived with an expectation that their movement would grow. They lived with an expectation that they would win. They lived with an expectation that through patience and faith they would inherit the promises of God. They lived with an expectation that eventually the world around them would see that what they had was real. That the world around them would see that what they had was life transforming. That what the world around them would see is that they meant every single word when they said Jesus can change your life. I wonder whether we're a part of the cultural church or are we a part of the way. I want to be a part of the way. And I believe and pray that you do too. See, cultural Christianity is not going to change the world we live in. But I believe if we can get back to being the way, then we can change the world in which we live. God bless you guys.